I get a chance today to um, speak to you about something that's been on my heart, something that the Lord's been, of course, speaking to me for many years. It's a very simple passage, very beautiful passage. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, this passage taken out of the Sermon on the Mount. And I have no doubt in my heart that there's some folks here this morning you really need to hear what the Word has to say to you today. Maybe you've read it a thousand times, but I think today the Lord wants to minister to you. So please stand with me. We'll read this together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus is here teaching his followers, his disciples, and he says, For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or about what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field grow as they do not toil, they do not spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that we need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You may be seated. If you're anything like me, you've come to this passage many times. You've read it. It's, it's, over the years, it has comforted me. And it has rebuked me at times. It has convicted me. It has challenged me. It's one of the most basic, simple truths that we have that Jesus gives to us in this wonderful, beautiful Sermon on the Mount, but it concerns an issue I think we're all very familiar with, at some points more than others, and that's the issue of worry. What is worry? Well, worry defined is to think about problems or unpleasant things that might happen in a way that makes you feel unhappy or frightened. Let me tell you what worry is not. Worry is not concern. It is not care. We all have concerns and cares in life. That's just a given. No, worry is care or concerns held captive and dominated by fear, regardless of whether those concerns are legitimate or illegitimate. Worry is anxiety and distress caused by fears related to both real or imagined circumstances that are either current or potentially future. Someone said it like this, worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind, which if encouraged, will cut, a, will cut a channel so wide that all other thoughts will be strained out. In other words, when you live in a state of worry, you kind of live in the state of what if. 
all the what ifs. What if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if I lose my job? And what if I lose my car? What if I lose my spouse? And what if this doesn't work out? And what, I mean, what if things don't go right tomorrow? What if I try? And what if I fail? And worry consumes you. The list of what ifs goes on and on and on. We have so many what ifs. Face it, in this life, there's too many things that can go wrong. And any given day, there's too many things, too many cares to be concerned with. And things you give into those things, and they cause worry. And those worries and anxieties can consume you to the point they actually paralyze you. They can actually render you ineffective in anything where you do nothing. Or, on the other hand, you do something, but it's really stupid. I don't think you can laugh because we all know that we've made some pretty stupid decisions when we've been worried. Our smallest worries can affect results of huge messes. Worries have the power to affect us physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. It's a pretty powerful force. You know, you talk about a worry wart. Anybody hear a worry wart? You know what a worry wart is? There's someone who doesn't just worry too much, they worry needlessly. I mean, they, they, even things that aren't justifiable, they kind of think up things to be worried about. Worry warts are worried when they have no worries. It's like, man, I'm kind of scared today, nothing to be worried about. Someone said, life's too short for worrying. Someone said, yes, that's what worries me. It's just too short. Jewish proverb says, worms eat when you're dead, worries eat you when you're alive. And that's true. And of course, worry has been an ongoing affliction that has been common to man ever since the fall of man into sin. And it's one of the many consequences of sin, this worry. And for you and I living in the day that we live in, we know that these are really <laughs> crazy days. Turn on the news. If you're not worrying now, just turn it on. We'll give you a lot more to worry about. You may have the threats of war and the economy and inflation and 401k and, and you got stock market and your health and all the many things that you have. And then added to that, all these concerns that we have of daily life, we have the reality of living in the information age, which only adds more information and things to be worried about. I mean, daily we're bombarded by a steady flow of information, misinformation, disinformation, things that we have to sift through to kind of wonder what's true about this. Think about this 150 years ago. We wouldn't have heard about an earthquake in, in, in Africa or in China for about three, four, maybe two months after it occurs. Today, we can watch it in real time. We don't just hear about crimes and, and murders in our own community. We hear about them all over the country, all over the world. And Google doesn't help any. And you go to Google and you find all the answers. It's a fun thing to look for it. But man, sometimes, ever try to diagnose your own, your own struggle? Oh, you go to the symptoms. Oh, man, oh, no, I got this. I got to, Oh, no, I see it. I'm sure I got this. We've experienced the woes of a global pandemic that didn't just affect just our little community here. It affected the whole world. And daily, hourly, we were fed 
this, the, the reports of people who have died and the anxiety on a daily basis, worry. Worry, 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 worry. And then we have to sift through lies and manipulations that play with our worries and our fears. It can be a real mess. One worry leads to another worry, which leads to another worry, which leads to another worry, and soon you're in this perpetual state of worry. Can anybody here identify with this? I know, I know, because I've wrestled with my own worries. I know what it is. The way I see it, I think we're living in a culture, but it was altogether suffering an anxiety disorder. And I think it's just a culture that's given over, and it's adapted to, of course, the, the culture of pharmaceuticals, of both illegal, illegal, anything to soothe your stress, your anxiety. We've been created, anesthetized, you know, in a culture of addictions, of drug addiction, alcoholism, religions, Eastern mysticism, cults, you name it, it's all there. Something to deal with this issue. And though you and I live in a very prosperous country that's materialistic, we live in a culture that's now very cynical, skeptical, and with a lot of psychosis with what's going on around our world. And the truth is, for us in America, we have more anxiety to worry about because we have more things to worry about. So much more things. People don't worry about just what they don't have. They worry about what they do have. You know, it really hit me one day. I was out in my garage, and I was kind of purging things and cleaning things up, and I said, Man, I didn't realize how much these things really weigh me down. And the concern you have for all these things that you accumulate in life, and you realize, i got to care for these things. Well, you don't always worry about those things, but I'll tell you what. At some point, they do become worry, and you have to deal with them. And sadly, even professing Christians can be swept up with worry and with fears. Do you guys understand that? I think we all know. We've all had to deal with the reason some people don't give financially to the Lord. It's simply they're just too worried that if they did, they won't have enough. I mean, I think I love Bible prophecy, don't you? Isn't it exciting? But even prophecy sometimes can be a source of worry if it isn't taught correctly. Sometimes people study prophecy for the sensationalism of it, but they find themselves being subjected to their fears and their worries and they're worried about the future and what's happening because these things are true and they're taking place. Now, prophecy is wonderful when it's taught correctly because when it's taught correctly, it should encourage you that our God who has always been faithful in the past to keep his word is just as faithful to keep his word for us today and tomorrow. That's prophecy. But also, when, it, when you go through prophecy, it should inspire you to want to live a more godly and holy life. Do you know that's the, really, I think, the motivation of prophecy? is so that we would want and desire to live godly lives. Not so that we can go off and do our own thing and say, oh man, look at what's going on over there. Well, all these things are happening. No, the Lord's saying, I want you to wake up. I want you to see, I want to speak to you today. I want you to know that there's, there's something I have for you this very day. I see all these things. You see this and the prophecies and all these things that are playing on us and fears that people are dealing with. And, and so there are some Christians who run away from prophecy. And you know why they do? Because it scares them. It triggers too much worry. 
And they miss something of the most beautiful truths that we need to sink into our heart. And I wonder sometimes, should we as believers be the ones to lead the charge in panic and chaos? Should we be the ones who are swallowed up by all the worry and all the fear? And we've been challenged by this this last few years. Shouldn't we be the envoys of, of hope? Of love, of grace to a godless world? Aren't we the ones who have the good news in a world that is filled with bad news? Aren't we the ones who follow the one who calms angry seas and stills the storms? Aren't we the ones who follow after one who will either take us out of the storm or through the storm? Aren't we those ones? Loved by a father who loves us and follow after Jesus? Aren't we the ones who follow the Prince of Peace? One who gives us a peace that the world does not give. Aren't you amazed that in the middle of all the nuttiness and the chaos that you have times of peace in your life? There's peace. We follow after the one who said, come to me all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know, as God's children, should we be swept up with the fears of common to men? And that's why I love this passage right here. Because it takes us some of the most fundamental truth. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is a wonderful sermon that Jesus gives. And I'll tell you something, it's powerful. Because in it, he gives the fundamental laws and principles of the kingdom of God. There's also something else that happens when you go through the Sermon on the Mount. If you suffer from self-righteousness... You need the Sermon on the Mount because it will shred your self-righteousness to pieces and it'll leave you understanding how much you need a Savior. It'll draw you to His grace. But the sermon is concerning the kingdom of God and Jesus is speaking to the citizens of the kingdom, the children of God. And so the first thing I want you to know about being free from worry is that freedom from worry begins with knowing and following after Christ with a yielded heart in pursuit of his kingdom. That's the first thing. You have to know Jesus. More importantly, he has to know you. You know, there's one passage in Matthew 7, or Matthew, yeah, it was Matthew 7, which says, or 6. He says, you know, you... you, you you come to me, you do all these great things, you speak in my name, you heal in my name, you do all these things. Depart from me, I never knew you. No, no, does he know you? You see, I know him, but does he know you? Because that's the very first thing, it's the relationship. It's the bond of knowing I'm a child of God. He's my father. And Jesus makes a way for me to come to the father, to the throne of grace where I can be right in his presence. If that doesn't begin to bring peace to your heart, that God is our Father. Some of us didn't have good fathers, but we have a good heavenly Father. And he's a great Father. So first and foremost, one of the things you learn as you go through the Sermon on the Mount is this, is that God is after our heart. He wants our heart. The core of our being. That, that place where we make decisions, where the seed of our emotions and our will. We say, well, God just wants me to be a good boy. No, he's after your heart. 
Because if he has your heart, he will have every area of your life if he has your heart. So God's after the heart. So God being after the heart, he's looking for hearts that are yielded to him. You know, the, Jesus says where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Freedom from worry begins with a yielded heart. Does Jesus possess your heart? Jesus says, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now when Jesus says, for this reason I say to you, he's connecting thought here. He's saying, because these things are true, this is what it should mean for you. As you go to the chapter 6 here in Matthew, what you realize is that as, as you go through this, Jesus is dealing with issues of prayer and honest, sincere prayer. He's teaching his disciples how to pray. He's talking about authentic fasting before the Lord. Again, getting that heart and relationship to God, having a sincere heart, and being completely devoted to him. He says you can't serve both two, two masters. You can only have one. He says all that in this chapter. And he's saying, now, since these things are true, this is what it should mean to you. You who are the subject of the kingdom, do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll wear for clothing. Now, note this, that when you look at food and you look at drink and even clothing, you're looking at very legitimate needs. We need these things to live. They're fundamental to life. And yet Jesus would say here, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That's a good question. The need for all these things, Jesus is saying, is a given. But they're not the purpose of life. We know that some people may live to eat. Others eat to live. Some may live to drink. Some drink to live or live to drink. They live to clothe themselves rather than clothe themselves to live. But these are basic fundamental necessities of life. They, they though, become a source of unbelief and worry and fret when we are centered on these things. One of the many lessons that God taught his children in the wilderness was that every single day for 40 years, he fed them supernaturally. They didn't have to go and get their own food. All they had to do was collect it every single day. And God's teaching them a very big lesson here. He wants them to know, hey, I'm your supplier. And the thing is, they could never collect tomorrow's bread today. If they did, it would rot. He says, no, I'm going to be your supplier. When they're thirsty, what does he do? Well, he causes rivers of water to flow out of hardened rock. He's teaching them, I'm your provider. I want you to know, children of Israel, that I love you. And I have my eyes are upon you, and I'm here to, to, to take care of you. He wants him to know them as a good shepherd, overseeing his sheep. And he's proving his love and his care for his people. And he uses food and water to do it. He even clothes them to the point where they don't need new clothes. How about that? They don't need new sandals. He causes them to last for 40 years. 
and the wilderness. You haven't needed it. And some of you guys are freaking out, man. That's like, I can't do that. I'm not going to wear my clothes more than two days. I don't know how all that worked. It's kind of creepy to think about. But God sustained his people for 40 years in the wilderness. And they could count on it. The next day, it would always be there for them. The tragedy of Israel is that though God proves his love for them, and though he proves his providence for them, they still find themselves at a time of testing when rather than choosing to believe him and obey him and trust him, they choose worry. They choose fear. We can't do this. What if? What if we cross over into that promised land and God lets us down? What if we go over there and the giants slaughter us? What if we go over there and they just defeat us in battle? And you need to know this, that biblically, worry is sin. It's a sin of unbelief in a gracious, merciful, and loving God, benevolent God, who is merciful and gracious to his children. I'm so glad I know him as my father. Worry is a statement of distrust. It questions the love and the integrity of God. Oswald Chambers said, worry is an indication that we think God cannot look after us. See, it's easy to say we believe in God. But the real question is, do we trust him? Do we really trust him with our life? You say, I believe in you, but do I trust you? That's a whole different issue. Chuck Missler said this. He said, when you worry about something, you're assuming a responsibility God never intended you to have. Is that true? I think that worry is perhaps the most tolerated and neglected sin among us as believers. And Jesus stands in the midst of us, even in our day, in this crazy day. Do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink or as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Before we go any farther, again, I want to stress what Jesus is not saying here. As I said earlier, he's, there, there's some who abuse these passages and they take them, they twist them to suit their own purposes. Jesus is not saying here that we're not going to have concerns and cares in life. That's not what he's saying. There is always going to be cares and concerns. And Jesus is not saying that we're not going to have trials and tribulations in life. Because we're always going to have trials and tribulations in life. Do you guys get that? Anybody not having trials and tribulations? Because if you're not, we can give you some. Some have extra ones they can pass off to you. Jesus isn't suggesting that you quit your job, that you throw caution to the wind. Well, I don't need to worry about anything, therefore I don't go to work, I don't do anything. He's not suggesting laziness or irresponsibility. Just sit back and every, let everything be done for you. No, what Jesus is saying here is that he himself is our security. 
That we have a Father who is watching over us as a shepherd, and we can trust Him with our needs, our needs, the things we really need, believing not only that He loves us and cares for us, but that He also has all the resources to meet all those needs. And so Jesus uses some practical illustrations. Look at the birds of the air, he says. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? I don't know the setting. I think Jesus is on the hillside here, and I, I think he points out there's some birds going along, flying along so beautifully along the hillside there, and he probably sees them and again says, look at those birds. Look at them. Just get a good look at those birds. They don't, they don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store in barns. They don't live in panic and worry about their next meal. They simply do what they were created to do in the care of their creator. That's what they do. Our Heavenly Father feeds them, which is a marvel in and of itself that God would feed be so attempted to feed even the birds of the air that somehow, some way, he gets it to them. I know part of his plan is he uses people like my wife. <laughs> for whatever reason, she's burdened for the birds. And she used to bring home big bags of bird food, and she, she found out they attracted mice, and so that kind of didn't, got away from that. But birds simply do what they're created to do. They fly high in the sky. Don't you wish you could fly? I do. I mean, they instinctively go in search for their worms. They, they eat to live. They don't live to eat. But they never worry about it. Why? Because they're cared for. We have a Heavenly Father who cares for Him. God's ecosystem is simply amazing. He cares. Jesus says to them, Are you not worth much more than they? In chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for scent, and yet not one of them will fall off to the ground apart from your father, but the very hairs in your head are all numbered? So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. How many of you guys believe that? I mean, really believe it. Would our Heavenly Father care for the birds? but neglect us as children for whom he made the birds? And truth, again, God creates these things for our pleasure. Did you think about that? When you see all the beauty of this earth and you see the ecosystem and the water that runs and the springs and the mountains and the stars at night, God made all this for our enjoyment, his creation, to express who he is so that we might worship him and love him and have relationship with him. That's why he created it all. He says, hey, would I care for them and not care for you? Are you not worth much more? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? That's a good question. What's worry going to do for you? One of the things you learn about worry is that it's absolutely powerless to produce anything of value. In fact, probably the, the greatest thing it does is get you into more trouble, if anything. Can your worry change anything? Can it fix anything? Can it add one hour to your life? 
course, it's a rhetorical question. Of course not. Jesus says, why are you worried about your clothing? He says, observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil. They do not spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Why are you worried about clothing, the Lord would say? What you're going to wear. Again, that's kind of a hard question for some of you because you spent a lot of time worrying about what you should wear. And we're glad that you do. <laughs> we're glad that you do. But here's Jesus. He's looking at the lilies of the field. And I think he's on the gun at hillside. He looks out and says, hey, do you guys see all these wildflowers down there? And do you guys see all the colors? Do you, do you see the beauty of what's simply there? Nobody planted that. It's just there. And somehow it's care. They don't, they don't, these little flowers, they're not out there toiling. They're not spinning. They're not, you know, they're not struggling. And he says, not even Solomon, King Solomon, all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. Solomon, the rich king of splendor. So, but he didn't clothe himself like one of these. Listen, Solomon is a very wealthy man. And I'm sure of all the people in the kingdom, he had the, the best materials, the finest designers clothing him with kingly fashion. But compared to those lilies of the field, he says, it's nothing. No, not when God cares for something. Because the artistry of God, the creativity of God is creative is far more glorious than anything that any man can create. And again, for me, to walk outside for me is a worship experience. Just to look and to see what God has created. I go, oh, Lord, that's amazing. Live in Prineville now, and we're, we're, we're kind of looking out and seeing stars I didn't see before. See things, lots of things. Enjoying it. God, you made all these things. What a great and awesome God you are. You know what? The birds of the air and the lilies of the field, they are beautiful to behold and to watch, but Jesus didn't die for birds. And he didn't die for the lilies of the field. He died for us. He died for sinful people. He died because we needed a Savior. Now that tells you how much he loves you. I wonder, do you really believe you're loved? See, I believe that the children of Israel, I think God told them, and they got the message that he loved them, but I don't they think they thought it here. The problem is they never got it here. I think there's a lot of people here who have it here, but you don't have it here yet. And God wants somehow to work it from here to all of a sudden it gets to here where it begins to change your life. You say, oh God, I really do know you love me. And I know you're watching over me. You see, Jesus says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He says, listen, the Gentiles, of course, they go after all these things. They're worried about their food. They're 
worried about their drink, they're worried about all these things, and you could completely reasonable. People have no faith in God, have no relationship with God, that they would be filled with worry and anxiety. I mean, after all, if you're your own savior, it's all up to you. I mean, you've got every reason to worry. And our Heavenly Father, He knows that we need all these things. And then He says, verse 33, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Like the song, we had a song. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. What a simple truth. So simple, so profound. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Make His kingdom the number one priority of your life. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, part of that Lord's Prayer is your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he's saying this is the way you must live. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, our greatest worries in life comes from the thing that consume us the most. So if you worry more about your financial security, you're always worried about your bank account and your 401k or your job. Very first thing you care about is your title, your position. Well, your greatest fears are going to be about your position of titles wherever you are. You might lose them. Who knows? Your fears about your health and your good looks, well, you're always worried about you might lose your health and your good looks. But Jesus says there's something here you can never lose, and that's the kingdom. You cannot lose the kingdom and the love of a father who loves you. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, not your kingdom, not your righteousness, his. Because if you're living for your kingdom, expect worry. Expect fear. Don't expect to be at peace with God. If this is all about you doing your thing for you on your own, apart from God, outside of his will, outside of his purpose. Jesus says earlier in this passage, there must be no rival to his throne. No one can serve two masters for either. He'll hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. He's saying, no, there's got to be a priority thing happening in your life. Where you really figure out that the most important thing in all the world is my relationship with God. Is his relationship with me. And that I remember always that he's the master and I'm the servant. And I'm blessed by grace that he lets me be one. Because the double-minded person is destined for mental distress. Spiritual schizophrenia. If you're out to serve yourself, serve your wallet, you cannot ever expect to serve God. In a faithful way that you can understand his love and his grace for you. See, according to the kingdom, we are to possess without being possessed 
by what we possess. We're to own without being owned by what we own. We're to make sure that our things serve us rather than us serving them. That's how it works in the kingdom. And that he calls us merely to be stewards of his blessings. To use the things that he's entrusted to us to magnify him and his kingdom. Because the sole duty of every born-again believer is this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Submit yourself to his purpose, his plans. It's a wonderful thing when it finally dawns on you that when you're submitted to God and you're living with him as your number one priority, that your problems automatically become his problems. And you can say, you know what, God, this is your problem. I'm here, I'm, I'm obeying you. He wants to, us to live in security and, and to rest free from the worry. Get your heart in the right place and God, you're number one. Rather than be people of worry, be instruments of hope and of joy. I'm told that when I was quite young, that our family was very poor. My dad was a pastor of a small little church in Maine. I was the youngest of four children, and I was told years later, I never knew that we were poor. I never knew. My parents knew, but I didn't know. All I knew is that every single day, we got fed. I didn't know how we got fed. All I know is that we ate. And the reason we ate is that God loved our parents, who loved us. And somehow, they would take things to the Lord, and the Lord would provide for, for them. And, and so we went on, and we didn't know. Sometimes we have to grow up to learn how to worry. Isn't that right? I didn't worry. Isn't that what we love about children? They don't live with all the anxiety, or they shouldn't. I think our kids now are just being bombarded with things God never intended them to have to deal with. Crazy stuff. But we admire children because they remind us of an innocent age when they weren't worried about what they were going to eat. They just figured somehow it's going to happen. Somehow, and the thing about this is that, you know, my parents loved us, but they were limited in their resources. And they could only offer us so much. Yet God provided for them with their unlimited resources, and us as the children were blessed by it. But God, he's unlimited in his resources. He's the maker and creator of all things. He's the one who made the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. He's the one who made the mountains and the trees for our pleasure. He cares for them. Will he not also care for us? My pastor used to give this slogan to us, and not just a slogan, it was a principle, that where God guides, God provides. And I have to tell you that we have, Janet and I have not always been these wonderful people of faith. I will share that with you right now. I have had my share of worry and anxiety in life. But there's those times in our lives where God caused us to actually believe it, to believe that he was going to care for us and our needs. And I can tell you this, and, and if anybody who's been in this situation, if you've ever 
kind of just said, I'm doing things that makes no sense to anybody, but I'm trusting God and obeying God, and you watch the Lord provide for you, it's the most exciting way to live in the world. I know some of you here, and I know you've lived that way. You've watched the Lord provide for you in ways that it just was impossible. I could give you story after story after story. One of the ones people often ask me to tell is one when many years ago, Janet and I had gone down to California, and my grandfather had passed away, and so we were just feeling exhausted and tired. We had no money, poorer than church mice had no credit cards. We didn't know where the next paycheck. We were, lived one, one paycheck away from the streets, always. But we went down there. We believed we were supposed to go, so we went down there. We're on our way home. We don't know if we have enough money to get gas to get home. And I'm tired. Got a little baby girl. I'm thinking, oh, how are we going to... What I wouldn't give to have a good meal and what I wouldn't give just to have a nice place to sleep for a night, what it would be great. We're on the I-5, heading up to Seattle. We're in the middle of nowhere. We stop for gas. Middle of, I mean, absolutely nowhere. I-5, you know, there's nothing there, right? <laughs> well, we're getting back on the freeway. For whatever reason, I pulled off the road just to do something. I'd situate my seat or something before I got on. And all of a sudden, I look in front of the headlights. It's late at night, and I look in front of the headlights, and Something's blowing around out there. That looks interesting. We went out there and found four $20 bills just floating <laughs> along. I kid you not. I still see it with my eyes. Where did they come from? Well, of course, we grabbed them. I would never know who to give them to. I think he worked it out to a place where, who do you give it to? No, I guess we got to keep it. We ate. That was like $200 worth then. We had a night's rest. And God was telling us one more time, I love you, and I'm gonna, we're going to take care of you. And that's been the years of experience. And if you know people who've been through this, they'll tell you that Philippians 4.19 is true. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, we've had our struggles and we've had our anxieties. And they've always gotten in the way when we got in our own way. When we got between ourselves and the Lord and we began doing things our way and thinking things our way. And then there it is. There's the worry. And so Jesus gives these wonderful words here, verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. That good? Is that not practical? Then he says this, each day has enough trouble of its own. Is that not true? <laughs> yes. This is the thing, the last thing I want to share. Live one day at a time. Again, this is the lesson that God taught his children in Israel, is that he's supplying enough manna for the day. Each day they would collect enough. They couldn't collect tomorrow's manna today. They had to do today's. And on the day before Sabbath, they would collect twice as much for the Sabbath day. But he was teaching them, I want you to live one day at a time. I just want you to live one day at a time, knowing that I'm going to be with you each day at a time. 
And again, when you look at the Lord's Prayer, as earlier in this chapter, he teaches his disciples to pray with this daily petition, give us this day our daily bread. Not give us this week, or give us this month, or give us this year. No, give us this day. It ain't no use putting your umbrella up till it rains. George MacDonald said, no man ever sank under the burden of the day. It's when tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that the weight is more than a man can bear. Never load yourself so. Only man clogs his happiness with worry, destroying what is for thoughts that might be. I'm doing okay today, but how will I be tomorrow? Can I tell you this, one of the things that I've learned over the years? is that God gives you the grace when you need it. We often think, well, how would I ever deal with that? I remember in pastoring just situations that, have I ever had to deal with this? How would I deal with that? I thought it would just be impossible. And then you're dealing with it, and it's right there. It's like God gives you the grace you need then. So if you're worrying about how you should worry about something for tomorrow, don't. It's no use. Because he'll give you the grace when you need it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. My life verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Psalm 21, 23, 1. Psalm 34, 8 and 9. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is a man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, there is no want. And 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety in him because he cares for you. And Philippians 4, 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. I could go on and on and on and on and tell you one verse after another verse. But the problem, people, is this. For a lot of us, and I will say that, us here in this room, we treat these beautiful passages of the Scripture as if they're nothing more than little feel-good quips and quotes and slogans to be written for Hallmark cards, when in fact, these are promises of God to His children. And that's who we are. The old song, Trust and Obey, There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. All comes home. What a simple truth. Why do we lose sight of it so easy? You know, this isn't the unbiblical, blasphemous, health, wealth, doctrine stuff so popular today, you know, where you kind of do everything to satisfy your desire, your plans, and God's really your servant and you're the master. No, this is simply this, laying our lives down and surrender in pursuit of his glorious kingdom, trusting in his glorious and faithful love for us, his provision, because this people is hope that has substance. This is not absurd wishful thinking. This is hope with substance. It's the promises of God. We don't have to live and worry. Now, I really believe when I was preparing for this, see, the Lord's been dealing with this in my own life. 
in this new stage of our lives. We don't know what God has for us and what he's going to be doing with us, but he brings me back to this. I just want you to know, Doug, I've always loved you. I've always watched over you. Why do you think it would change now? And so the Lord's been ministering this to my heart, and it means more to me now, I think, than ever before, because, you know, I, I really believe it. I love this psalm, Psalm 37, verse 23. I have been young, and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Can I say this? I've been young, and I've been old, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken. And I mean that with all my heart. He's a faithful God. Do you want security? Here it is. It's Jesus. Surrender. Every expectation you have with the exception of one expectation, that is expect God to watch over you because he cares for you. Let me ask you, are you a child of God? Are you a citizen of the kingdom? Are you seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? Are you willing to trust him with everything? Invest your life in the most important thing? Then you can know the freedom and the security of being a child of God, loved by God, protected by God. And the angels still have troubles. You'll still have tribulations because that's how we grow. But we can be secure in this. We are loved. And if you don't know Jesus here this morning, I want you to know something. He loves you. He gave his life for you. He gave his life for you. This is not hogwash. This is a story of love. And believers, God wants us to live in it. Not just to know it, but to believe it. Because there is no safer, more secure place to be than when we are centered in the will of God, trusting in the love of God to provide for us with the power of God. That's security. May we be a blessed and secure people. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Yeah, it's nuts. It'll never change his feelings for us, ever. He's with us.